Welcome back to the 2R1 podcast, where normally we study the Bible together as a married couple, but today Austin Lindsay is guest co-hosting for Elisa, who is on the way to Uganda as we speak. Um, Last week we were in Mark chapter 2, we'll pick back up there today, and the question last week was, where's the door? This week it's, where am I sitting? Then we're going to speak with Dr. Blake Rackley, a licensed clinical psychologist from Emanuel College. So sit back and enjoy the ride. We'll see you in just a bit. All right. We are back today in Mark chapter two, and Austin Lindsay is in the studio guest co-hosting. Thank you for joining us, Austin. Yeah, man, it's good to be here. Yeah, he joined us about two or three weeks ago uh, to speak on a uh, a worship article, and uh, he did such a good job. That <laughs> I, actually, uh, we're we're good friends, and uh, I know that he's very passionate about Scripture, and I knew he'd be a good fit. Um, Elisa is currently she's on her way to Kenya right now. Uh, and then she's going to Uganda. She'll be back in about 10 days. So hopefully we can get a call in from her maybe next Wednesday for the podcast, kind of get a, you know, an update on what she's been up to. Um, but she's real excited. She went through Amsterdam and, and got to see some some cool things in Amsterdam and uh, very excited about the opportunity that's before her. And uh, so I asked Austin to come in and join us. And then next week we'll have another uh, guest co-host. It's a surprise at this point. Um, but Austin is going to read for us. We're just going to handle 13 through 17 tonight, and then next week we'll try and finish up the chapter. So, Austin, if you don't mind, read right. for us. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him, and as he reclined at table, In his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to him, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for loving us, Lord. We thank you that you came, Father, to heal us spiritually, um, physically even, Lord. Father, we thank you that you are the great physician, Lord. There's none like you. You are high and lifted up. um, Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Father. Your ways are higher than our ways, Lord. And who can give you counsel, Father? You you know the end as uh, well as the beginning, Father. You know all things. Nothing is hidden from you, Father. And you have all power and all authority and all dominion. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would bless the reading of your word, Lord, that you would um, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Father, and speak through us and to us. And Lord, I pray that you would bless Elisa and all those that she's traveling with to Uganda, Lord, that you would protect them and keep them, Father, and work your power through them, Lord, that the gospel may be on display, Father, that that the people would see Jesus and and, uh, repent, Father, and come running to him, Father, and surrender and salvation. And Lord, we just ask you to go with us tonight and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, last week the question was, where's the door? 
Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of Mark 2, it's the, the crazy scripture where the four men bring the paralyzed man in and they can't get in the door. They can't find the door. Yeah, yeah. And they tear off the roof and, and lower him in. And so we talked about how where's the door could mean two ways. It could mean are we blocking the door from someone trying to get to Jesus? Or it could mean that we are so churched out that we're looking for the door. Like, where's the door? I'm burnt out. And so we talked about how we need to make sure we're not, make sure we're pointing people to Jesus and also make sure that we're working in our calling so that we don't get burnt out. And so that leads us right into this week. Uh, the question is, where am I sitting? And I went back and forth on, on, on this week's question. At first it was, um, Am I warm? Do I feel warm? That was the name of the question, like a kid would ask, you know, if you have a temperature or something. Um, just And then I really like the, um, the picture that I got in my mind of where am I sitting? You know, that just brings a lot of imagery in my mind. And if you look at the image for this episode, it's a bench mm-hmm. by itself, uh, an empty bench. So the first verse, uh, verse 13, Jesus went out again by the lake. All the crowd came to him and began. He began teaching them. So, Austin, what do you hear there? Um, I th- it was things were picking up at that point in his ministry. It's at the beginning of his ministry, and uh, he is starting to, I guess, gain some traction. And he's he's pretty popular with the people at this point, which mm-hmm. we come to find out that popularity is pretty fickle. Mm-hmm. But um, that's one of the things that I that I see. Yeah, they later on they they. They wave palm branches as he enters the mm-hmm. city, and those same people want him crucified. Just, a week later, you know, yeah. just a week later, and that is so true, man. And I try to remember that, um, even in all things, you know. Um, and that's why seeking the approval of men it, it makes you miserable, because you will never sustain it. You may gain it, but you you will never sustain it. Yeah. Um, and what I saw in that, that verse was uh, all the crowd came to him and he began teaching them. And some of these things that come to me when I, when I hear stuff like this may seem obvious, but I think we have to get past the obvious, um, the, the feeling that it's obvious and then just brush over it. Um, I tell my son all the time that there's a lesson in everything, you know, yeah. Uh, there's a lesson in all things. And if if nothing else, when we go through trials, when we go through tribulation, we know the scripture says that it's to uh, or to 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 get patience into you basically, to to make your patience grow, to give you patience. But in everything, even the littlest thing, there's a lesson. And Jesus never wasted a word, he never wasted an action, he never wasted a moment, he never wasted a minute. Everything that he did was on mission. Mm-hmm. And so it's no different in our lives. There is no happenstance. There is no stubbed toe that caught God by surprise and that there isn't a lesson in. And some people may make fun of me thinking over analyzing life like that. But the truth is, every single thing we have ever gone through, we ever will go through, all the way down to the to the small things are all part of God's plan to mold us and shape us into who he wants us to be. You know, before salvation, it's to bring us into the fold. After we're saved, 
all these things that happen to us are to shape us and to, to sanctify us, you know? And I just think it's a little bit of an, an American issue sometimes that we just, we don't either think about sanctification or we don't want to be sanctified, you know? Um, and I think that it's super important that we're vividly aware at any moment, wherever we're at, what God is trying to show us. Yeah. We, I mean, we talked about that not that long ago, how like to a lot of people, they think that the moment you accept Christ as your savior, that's, that's the end of the road when it's only the beginning. And, um, I, I think that was cool. I mean, when we talk about Jesus and we talk about the things that he did and how everything he does, each little thing that he does, each story he tells, each miracle he performs is for a reason. It points to something. I mean, he does everything in a perfect, beautiful way, but what, you know, I, I mess up sometimes. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I do stuff and it's like, well, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. Right. But the the cool thing about God is he's sovereign. He's so sovereign that he even takes those things that are mess ups and he, he uses them for his glory and for my good. And mm-hmm. so he teaches lessons and he, he helps me grow. And like you were talking about. Absolutely. And, and sometimes, uh, well, I guess every time, how many times we have to be taught a lesson is up to us. Yeah. You know, I mean, you think about the children of Israel and uh, walking around the mountain in the wilderness and, and, and God says, you have walked around this mountain long enough, you know, like um, we got, if we have to keep walking around the mountain for God to drive home the point, then, you know, we'll keep walking around the mountain or, or if that's what, if it takes that many times, God will let us do it until we get it. So if we'll just learn our lesson the first time, then we can move on to the next step. You know, and I think that's super important that we are willing to be teachable. That was my word for 2018 was teachable. That's why it's so near to me is that, I don't know. I just think that if you look at who Jesus condemned while he was walking on earth, it was those that were not teachable. You know, the people who thought they knew it all, the religious people who did could not be taught, who thought they knew God's word better than God incarnate, you know, yeah, the people who thought they didn't need a physician. Yeah, exactly. So all the crowd came to him because like Austin said, he's famous by this point and he used this opportunity to teach them everything he said had a lesson. So verse 14, as he passed on from there, he saw Levi, son of Alpheus, Alpheus, <laughs> sitting in his tax collection booth, and said to him, "Follow me," and he got up and followed him. Awesome. Peel back the layer of the tax collector in this culture uh, for us, please, if you would. He was a very hated person uh, to <laughs> to a lot of people. He he was pretty much like a traitor. Yeah, like he worked for the Roman government, who was oppressing them at the time, and they were getting heavily taxed, right? Yeah. And so he was doing the dirty work pretty much, but he was getting rich off of it. So. Yeah. He was like, I've always heard in that in that time, they would keep some back for themselves yeah. over and above what the requirement for them to keep was. Mm-hmm. So he was robbing from his own people. And uh, so he was probably the most hated figure in society. You know, you hear about in the Old Testament about how the shepherd was the lowliest of society. This would mm-hmm. be below the shepherd, you know, um, someone who didn't smell as bad as a shepherd, but 
was hated more than you know than a yeah, shepherd yeah. despised and looked at as the lowliest of society like the sleazy salesman <laughs> or something yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly everybody sees him and like turns and walks the other way or yeah. like hides so i like how well first of all just all that being said even though he was hated by his own people as far as worldly possessions goes he probably had more than any of his any of his um, family or friends that were not tax collectors, Mm -hmm. he was very wealthy. And when Jesus calls him out, Jesus has ticked off enough people up to this point that by uh, Levi standing up, he's essentially forfeiting everything that he had. He stands to lose a lot by simply getting up and following Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's not, we read it as Jesus said, follow me. And he got up and followed him. But, but we have to remember the context. Right now, his life is about to change drastically. He's about to go from having everything to having nothing but Jesus. Yeah, you, I mean, you read about where it's like the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, and you hear the, the Scripture where it's like um, it's harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so it's like... Yeah, yeah, he he had a lot to lose. He had a lot to lose, and it, that's what speaks so much about him is the fact that, you know, when you read this, it, it's almost a reaction. Like you know, I I hit you in the knee and you 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 yeah. kick. Like right. follow me, he follows him. Like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's I, almost that simple, and we don't make it that simple. Right, we and we should. It. We we count we count the cost of the worldly cost too much sometimes you know we're, we're like well how's this going to affect me and we hesitate and jesus is walking while he's talking and so the longer we hesitate the further he's getting away you know so he reacted immediately he got up and followed him and just to just to even take this to the spiritual level this is what jesus is saying to every one of us every one of us in the faith every one of us out of the faith if you want to know what god is saying this is what he's saying you know and sometimes I'll have young people that may um, ask a question or ask for advice or something and I always tell them the answer that you're looking for is always a closer walk with him always and that sounds cliche but it's true the closer we get to Jesus the more he begins to pull the veil back and we can see the next step you know what happens is we we hesitate or we let sin get in between us and him and then our vision gets clouded our ears get stopped up we can't we can't follow him you know what is what is god saying to you god is saying follow me follow me closer you yeah, know hold my hand yeah it's like we get confused and and, and we start to, to kind of panic like yeah it, i mean i it's uh it does sound cliche, but it's true. Like you said, it's like, I mean, if I don't know where to go next, if I'm looking for direction or like if um, I need answers or if I'm feeling down, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or like, I mean, whatever, like the answer really is him. Like, because we seek him for an answer, but sometimes we forget that he is the answer. He is the answer. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like, I remember telling you one time in high school, um, you know, I was talking about relationships and I mentioned to you that I have noticed 
when I begin to not be as close with Jesus, all of a sudden there's a little bit of friction that begins to pop up in the relationship with my wife and the relationship with my kids. Like all of a sudden there's a one-to-one ratio between my closeness with Jesus and the relationships in my life. And really everything else. And everything else. Yeah. Um, Jesus, that, and we'd say this sometimes too, the gospel is simple, but mm-hmm. it's not easy. You know, there's a difference between simple and easy. What's great about the gospel is the only thing we have to do is follow him. That's it. But it's simple, but it's not easy because our flesh gets in the way. But when things get complicated, I, that's what I love about Micah 6, 8. You know, um, what does the Lord require of the O man except to uh, walk humbly before the Lord and love righteousness? You know, you can take all 66 books of the Bible. You can listen to tons of sermons and tons of theologians, and you can really let your head begin to spin. But when you feel like that or when you want an answer, boil it down to that simple truth. Follow him. Follow him. That's what I love about this verse right here. Um, then he goes on, as Jesus was in Levi's house eating, many tax collectors and sinners were sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them among his followers. When the Torah teachers and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But hearing the question, Jesus answered them, The ones who need a doctor aren't the healthy, but the sick. I come to call the right I co- I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is where the title of the episode comes from. Where am I sitting? I mean, Jesus constantly did this he shocked people by what he did mm-hmm. it was almost like he did the opposite of what society expected him to do yeah you know and even to the point of who he chose to sit by and associate with and also in your uh, translation it mentions reclining right yeah they were reclining it says and the many tax collectors if I can talk, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So when, you know, we kind of get this American image in our mind of what this dinner was like, but it was actually a lot more intimate than our dinners. You know, even even in our culture, having someone over to dinner is a very intimate thing. You're inviting them into your home, which is your safe space. Um, but in this culture, eating was even more intimate and even more um, almost ritualistic and um uh, you reclined with people. You laid with your feet to the side on pillows, and you were just, it was a more intimate setting. And so it was all the more shocking that he would get that close and that personal with these people who the religious people thought were terrible, unholy, ungodly, and you should never associate with. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, we can't, we have to kind of get ourselves in the mindset of what was going on with them at the time. So here again, you have the, this is like in last episode, you have the Pharisees and the scribes. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We, this isn't how we do things. Like we don't hang out with these people. Why is Jesus hanging out with these people? And this just shows you their reaction to Jesus's ministry shows you that uh, they cared more about pomp and circumstance and and outward appearance than actually living life with people and loving on people. You know, this was still law-based religion at this point. 
So when Jesus sat down with these tax collectors, he was essentially, I mean, this was just shocking to them. This was unclean. Why would you hang out with these people who were going to hell? That's essentially what these scribes and Pharisees are thinking and saying. And so where are we sitting? I mean, that question could mean different things. It could mean if if I'm not saved, where where am I sitting? Am I sitting um, outside of the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus? Am I sitting in a place of unbelief? Am I sitting in a place of uh, doubt, fear, worry, of uh, anger, hatred, rebellion towards God because of something that's happened in my life? Um, if I am saved, am I sitting in a place of hypocrisy? Am I sitting in a place of piety where I think that because I'm saved, I can't associate with these people that aren't saved. I can't associate with these people who are homosexual. I can't associate with these people um, who are drunk or under the influence of drugs. Now, granted, there are times when safety is an issue, but more often than not, the reason why we are not willing to sit with those kinds of people is not because of our own safety. It's because of our piety and our arrogance and our feeling that we are better than those people. And so I thought that was really the driving point of this scripture was Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty. He was willing to sit with people that no one else would. And that will always shake religious people that think they are above other people. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's very, um, that, that word's very on time mm-hmm. also. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what God, that's what Jesus came for. That's what we're here to do. I mean, the gospel's not for people who think they have everything together. Mm-hmm. The gospel's for people who realize that we're sinners, you know? Isn't that I mean? good news? Like, I mean, if we're all willing to be honest, none of us have it all together. Like, and also just, just on a surface level, compare that with any other religion on the face of the earth. Compare that. That's not the way it is. In any other religion you come across, it's all about works-based. It's all about what you can do, who you can help, the good works. It's all about appearance, rituals. Christianity is the only religion that says you can't do it. You can't do it. You, you can't earn your way to heaven. You don't have it figured out. And I'm willing to forgive you anyway when you come to me in repentance and ask for forgiveness. You know, I mean, that is that is good news. The reason why that's not good news for a lot of people is because many people, most people, cannot get past their own pride to say, I don't have it figured out. And that's what's so heartbreaking in churches sometimes is that that should be the one place where we can be, like we talked about last time you were here, Austin, that should be the one place where we can be open, where we can be vulnerable. Yeah. You know, but yet we've built up church in our minds so much so that we have to seem like we have it all together, which is completely not the gospel. The gospel says, come broken to me, you know? Yeah, I think sometimes we we have this this idea that um, there's this huge gap between us and someone who is, a quote-unquote bad person Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and we separate ourselves so much from them when in reality 
I don't I don't think there's that much difference. No. And uh, you know, maybe that's a way to feel better about ourselves, maybe inadvertently, I don't know, but you know, to be more like the Pharisee rather than than to reach out, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I think and I didn't know if you were going to bring this up, but I um I think that a passage like this could sometimes be misinterpreted into you know a new christian thinking you know hey it's okay i can i can go to the parties and i can do that and which is really a not it's not a healthy thing to do you right, know what right. i mean like if god just saved me and i used to be addicted to alcohol i don't need to just go back to the bar you right, know what i mean right. and i think that you know we can see here that this was jesus you know yeah and that it says that these tax collectors and these sinners were following him and he was teaching them you know what i mean and I think that our job is, like you said, to follow Jesus. It's very simple. And and a lot of times following Jesus takes us to a place to minister to broken people. And Absolutely. it puts us in the contact with sinners and tax collectors of today's world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that when you look at it that way, then... then I mean, you're still following Jesus. Yeah, I think sometimes our reaction uh, as Christians when we get around those kinds of situations is we get offended instead of seeing an opportunity. You know, we have to, as Christians, we have to get to the point of maturity where we can be around sin and not get offended, but yet feel a desire to witness to those people. I mean, not not call them out on their sin, but tell them the truth of the gospel that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at what God has done for me. God will do this for you. Yeah. You know, a place of love and compassion instead of condemnation. Yeah. And sometimes like, sometimes before that point of maturity, you know, I've, I've had to separate myself from Absolutely. stuff because I, I'm not, I'm not strong. You know, I'm pretty weak, and I've realized that. Well, we all have areas of strength and yeah. weakness, and, and we need to know our limits. Yeah, and I mean, for example, like, I remember there was a time uh, a long time ago, like, where, you know, I, I struggled with, with lust. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, God changing my heart, and I remember looking, you know, next time I saw somebody who was, you know, not wearing enough clothes or whatever. You right. know, I remember looking at them and honestly, like, feeling bad for them, like right. feeling pity and being like, "Man, you know, like, mm-hmm. it wasn't this temptation of like, you know, it it was a, I I saw it from a, a godly perspective, you know, yeah, and and he he changed my heart on that, and I think that that's an example of what we're talking about in different areas. Absolutely, and that only comes when we will let God sanctify us and grow us. You know, if we never get in God's Word, if we never let God mold us and shape us, we'll get stuck in a rut, and that's why we can many times stay stuck in a sin for a long time, you know, and it can become a curse. You know, we have to be teachable and let God grow us to the next level. And I think that's a very common thing for most people, especially most men, and I've been there too. You know, we have to let God mold us and shape us and grow us into the person that he wants us to be. And uh, I really like the last line here, which is everything we've been talking about. Jesus said, the ones who need a doctor aren't aren't the healthy, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. And mine has that in 
quotations, but sinners. I can almost see Jesus doing air quotes right there. You know what I mean? I didn't mm-hmm. call to come the righteous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, he probably did. And I don't know if that was like a thing back then, but you know what that that's understood that he means we think we're righteous, not him. You know, it's when we're self-righteous, when we think we don't need God, when we think our goodness is good enough. And that is foreshadowing to what Jesus will tell them later, which is, and, and Paul reiterates in uh, Romans, that, like we said a minute ago, none of us are righteous. No, not one. Mm-hmm. You know, our sins are but filthy rags in the eyes of God. I mean, our goodness is but filthy rags in the eyes of God, you know. So Jesus is almost being a little sarcastic right there at the, at the end of that scripture. But um, so... We're going to wrap it up there, and uh, again, where are we sitting? Where am I sitting? Th- this goes back to, to being willing to self-evaluate, which is being teachable. Am I willing to ask myself the hard questions and figure out where am I in my walk? Where am I with God? Where am I with other people? And being willing to ask myself the hard question and being willing to take counsel, both from God and from other people, you know? That's something we struggle with um, as christians a lot of times yeah it's like in the psalms it's like search my heart O lord and see if there be any grievous way in me mm-hmm. and lead me in the path that's everlasting yeah how many of us actually pray that you know that that needs to be i think that at least needs to be dealt with at the beginning of any prayer and petition before any prayer petition goes up to god is let's go ahead and just make sure there's the clean slate there you know between me and god because sometimes sin can be there and we just can't see it you know, we need God to reveal it to us. We're going to take a short break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to air a previously uh, recorded interview with Dr. Blake Rackley uh, to finish up the article that we started last week with him about the um, happiest country in the world. So uh, sit back and uh, we'll be back in just a second. Thanks again for joining us. If you missed any of our previous podcasts, you can find them on 2R1.org or search for us on iTunes at 2R1. That's the number 2, the letter R, and the number 1. And all of the articles, any links that we come across, we will also post on the website. So check them out there. Welcome back. We have Dr. Blake Rackley joining us again. Uh, He joined us last week to start detailing an article on happiness, and this week he joins us again by phone. Again, he is a licensed clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at Emanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. Thanks for coming back, Blake. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Awesome. Well, I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback from last week, uh, a lot of people that have listened to the podcast talking about how interesting it is. And it's also, uh, you know, we delved into kind of the first key point from the article, which was the effect of our screen time and our, and our digital devices on our happiness. And I've taken note over the past week of those kinds of things. I've taken note of what um, I've seen um others posting i've taken note of how much time i spend on it and i've tried to let it shape me a little bit because i mean at the end of the day you know knowledge is useless without application so 
Um, yes. I've really, and, and I got a lot of good feedback on that. A lot of people felt like that, that helped them to peel back the veil, peel back the layer a little bit and, and kind of self-evaluate. So um, I wanted to delve back in and let you kind of bring us some more key takeaways that you saw from the article. Again, this is an uh, article from CNN Biz and Leisure about the happiest country in 2019. So, Blake, what, what would be the next thing or the next set of things you could take away from the article that would apply to us for our happiness? Sure. You know, like one of the one of the chapters in there was talking about like, you know, happiness and like pro-social behavior. And they kind of split things up in between people giving their time and people giving their money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they had this one section in here and it's like when giving to others is most likely to increase like well-being. And they have like three main points. They say, um, basically, you are going to increase your well-being, your happiness, if you like um, feel free to choose whether or not to help somebody or how to help them, um, whether or not you feel connected to the people that you are helping, and um, <clears throat> basically whether or not you can see um, your help making a difference in other people. So... Um, I find it really, really interesting that, you know, happiness for, uh, especially according to this article, really kind of just deals with what we in the church would just call being a servant. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there's a difference between, in my mind, uh, a servant and a slave. Mm -hmm. You know, a servant chooses to stay with his master. And that that choice alone <clears throat> is basically, you know, that connection that we have with Christ. And we know that when we are serving, we're actually making a difference in the lives of the people that we serve. And pleasing our master. Yes, yes, same. So, you know, I find it really interesting that, um, you know, what they're saying is what the Word of God has said for so long you know, about us being servants. And I think it's kind of unfortunate that in many ways we've, uh, we, we've kind of lost our happiness of serving our master, of, mm-hmm. you know, finding joy in serving. That's a, that's a key thing because service that pleases God only pleases God when it comes from a place of want to from us. You know, serving out of necessity is not the same. It's all about the heart. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting, you know, when we kind of like take a look at how they studied this and, you know, what the word of God tells us, you know, about our tithes, our offerings, giving, giving back, giving to the Lord, um, and even giving with a joyful heart mm-hmm. that we we've sort of lost that. And I think sometimes in the, in the newer church today, we, we take services like, Oh my gosh, you're great with kids. Let's put you in this, uh, let's put you in the children's ministry or, Oh my gosh, you're young. Let's put you with all the youth. And that way you can serve there. And ultimately we're, we're not discipling people to mm-hmm. where we see where they're gifted 
Mm-hmm. We see where God has called them to and then saying and really kind of speaking into the lives of the people in the church of saying, <clears throat> what has God called you to? If if God has called you to this, what is your choice? Where do you want to serve? Where do you feel like God is leading you to serve? Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, um, who is it, John Maxwell, that said that, you know, um, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not, we're not launching people out in their giftings. So I, I feel like we're, we're losing a little bit of our joy. And the body of Christ it. is suffering yeah, because of it. And so it's, it's really interesting when we take a look at it from a Christian perspective you know, you you want people to serve within their giftings, mm-hmm. but you also want them to serve where God has called them to. Absolutely. You know, just because I'm gifted or even just because I'm talented, like let's say as a musician, just because a musician is talented doesn't mean that he has to be on the worship team. Right. That maybe, maybe God has called him to something deeper. Maybe his heart is for, I don't know, children. Maybe, maybe his heart is for um, the elderly. And yet we see where people are talented at or gifted at. And we think, oh, okay, well, they're, they're gifted or they're talented there. So let's just, let's just ask them if they'll serve here. Mm-hmm. Instead of really going and saying, what has God called you to do? Mm -hmm. What does your heart say? And letting them make a choice in it. Absolutely. I really see that as, and um, certainly don't want to disqualify myself from from self-evaluation, but I really Mm -hmm. see this this issue that you're talking about as, as it relates to the church as a leadership issue. Um, and, and really, this is the kind of thing, these are the kinds of things that, that happen when we begin to move away from the biblical model of church, um, when we begin to inject our ideas that are outside of the scope of what Jesus laid down, you know, in, in the Gospels and in the first few chapters of Acts. You know, again, this goes back to God has a way and and man has a way that seems right unto him but the end there of his death we know that's that's talked about in the scripture and god has a way he has a he has a plan he has a way of doing things he has given gifts unto men and he has a place for them to serve in the body and the minute as christians we begin to listen to man's suggestion instead of god's leading that's going to get us in trouble in all areas of life even in the church just because a um, pastor or a leader in the church tells us they think this is what we should do. At the end of the day, God's leading trumps even that of a leader in the church. And you know, like if you think about this, how many churches have split, or how many people have left the church, um, or people have gotten mad and angry over. You know, simple things such as, hey, you know what, I feel like God has called us to this other church right now. Or, hey, I feel like God has called us over here. And people get upset and angry when things don't go as they think is planned. Mm -hmm. And we, we forget that while Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, 
you know, what God does is often a dynamic. It's a changing. It's a transformation aspect. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I think sometimes we can't, we can't get over the fact that he's, things are always going to change for us while he is unchanging. God is always doing something new. Absolutely. And the guy that I disciple with describes it like this, Blake, and I love it. Um, He says that God is a God of movement. And, Mm. you know, when, when, and he's a kind of a scholar of Hebrew, um, the, the person that I disciple with, and, and he talks about how the Hebrew language is based on the verbs, whereas yeah. English is based primarily on nouns. We concentrate on the who, what, when, you know, the, the nouns. But Hebrew is all about the movement of God, and to read the Bible from the lens of seeing what God is doing and moving, it changes the way you read, and it also should change the way we respond to God. We look for His movement, and that's as a Christian people, we have to be sensitive to God's movement, and that means being sensitive to His leading. You know, <clears throat> if we think about what the article was was saying, is that ultimately a person a person has to choose, mm-hmm. and that choice is. You know, I mean, that choice can just be simple. It's just like, God, okay, what what are you doing right now? Mm-hmm. And um, and saying, you know, God, whatever you are doing right now, I'm choosing to do that. And because ultimately, you know, the difference between just heaven and hell is a simple choice. Absolutely. And that moves us into the next point that I really want you to speak on. And we've talked all around it. We've talked to the, the key points from the article about um, happiness, that being the key word of the article. Yeah. Um, and I know, Blake, that you, in your job and the patients that you deal with, while you do, while you are technically a Christian psychologist, you also have to be sensitive to your vocabulary and sensitive to where someone's at. And, you know, we don't want to ever beat someone over the head with the Bible or with the gospel because, uh, number one, that's not effective. And number two, we're telling God we don't trust him to do the saving. We, if we feel like we have to beat somebody over the head with the gospel. But um, so I know you have to watch your vocabulary, but the, but vocabulary does matter. And in this situation, we've we have interchangeably used the words happiness and joy. And you and I being... Um, you know, familiar with the biblical um, terms, we can use them interchangeably and, and know what the other one's meaning. But just for the audience and for the sake of someone who may not understand kind of the difference between those two words, could you paint that picture for us a little bit, the difference between the what the world means when it says happiness and joy and what the Bible means when it says happiness and joy? Sure. Like, I mean, if we if we look at the psychological aspects of happiness, happiness is um, just an emotion. It's a fleeting aspect. Um, You look at, you know, the works of like Paul Ekman and others that really kind of just dealt with emotion and happiness. um, If we look at how happiness shows on the face, happiness shows on the face for like less than a second to two seconds. Wow. Um, It's it is just an emotion that we feel in a moment. Whereas joy, joy tends to be a state of being, you know, if I have joy, 
then I have joy in the midst of all the things that are occurring in my life, whether it is good and great or whether it is bad and my circumstances are difficult. You know, joy is one of those things that is birthed from an inward aspect of security, of being content, of knowing that despite what is going on around me, I have someone who loves me, mm. who takes, who will take care of me in the midst of the difficult times, the struggles that are there. So if you want to look at it like happiness, you know, from a worldly standpoint would just be emotion and that emotion is fleeting and nobody is happy 24 seven. So um, joy tends to be more of just a state of being. Mm -hmm. And like you say, it's based on the truths of the word of God, Mm -hmm. which are, God says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We know that he gave the very best that he had. If we question God's love, we can look to the cross and see that he proved his love. And it's remembering and meditating on the truth of God and his nearness and the gift that he gave and the sacrifice that he made. And, um, and I'm not going to sit here and act like I've got that perfectly figured out. And I remain in a constant state of joy. Um, it's certainly tied to, um, the maturity of our faith and, and we will go through seasons and, but even the seasons in a strange way, this hard for us to understand is God's love also, um, because the seasons grow us and God's desires to grow us into the image of his son. And without the seasons, the ups and the downs, the good circumstances and the bad circumstances, we can never get quite, we can't learn a lesson sometimes any other way. And, um, but Blake, this has been an awesome two-part series of you peeling back uh, both biblically, uh, happiness and joy, and from the world's perspective. And just to recap, uh, Blake mentioned how um, true to find joy, we need to be in the moment where we're at and not disconnected on a digital device and miss the goings-on around us. And then second... It's the servant attitude that Jesus showed us, that God spoke to us about, that the Bible teaches. You know, at the end of the day, science continues to prove God right, and it's no different in the emotional realm. It's no different um, in our day-to-day, you know, um, level of happiness. So thank you so much, Blake, for joining us on two separate occasions. I know you're very busy, and I I very much appreciate... um, the contributions that you're making to the kingdom of God and bringing uh, the science of psychology um, kind of through the lens of the Bible. Um, I think that's a very important work, and I appreciate you and all that you're doing, and hopefully um, down the road we can we can bring you back in if that's good with you. Awesome, man. I'd love it. Thank you. Awesome, man. Well, God bless you, and uh, I'll be praying for you, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much, man. Well, that wraps up our interview with Dr. Blake Rackley, and we want to thank him again for taking time out of his schedule to join us and give us some wisdom about what the Bible has to say about joy and happiness and the difference between uh, worldly happiness and godly joy, and the difference being contentment and being content with what God 
has blessed me with, what God has done to save me, and what God has given me to, to work and to labor in his fields to bless his name. And that brings joy when we work in the gift that God has given us and when we're content with what God is doing in our lives. And I want to thank Austin Lindsay for guest co-hosting again today. Um, love him and I appreciate him stepping in and helping us as Elisa travels. Please be in prayer for her as she travels, um, as she does God's work. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.